Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. You guys doing well today? All right, let's start with this. Infomercials. Infomercials. You got to love them, right? Uh, Okay, who in here enjoys infomercials? Just raise your hand. Oh, man, I'm feeling really alone right now. I have a little confession to make. I've shared this before. Some of you know this about me. I am secretly drawn to infomercials. I know, I know. It's kind of like a car wreck. It may be twisted, broken, wrong, but you just got to look, right? And you need to understand that this is not entirely my fault. My mom, she was an original shareholder in the Home Shopping Network, okay? How many of you remember when that show came out like 40 years ago? You're dating yourself here. Okay. Yeah, I'm not making this up. This is totally truthful. My mom, she convinced my dad to invest a lot of hard-earned money in the Home Shopping Network. And she would watch it like all day long. The TV would be on. She knew all the salespeople by name, right? She would call them on a daily basis just to talk to them. I kid you not. It was as if they were a part of my family, okay? And as a child, most of my gifts had the label as seen on TV slapped on the side, Okay. (laughs) So cut me a little slack. It it, it may be genetic, it may have been environmental, but if they're on, I've just got to look. And when I watch infomercials, honestly, I want it all, right? I want everything. I want the hair remover. I want the the pore cleanser. I I want the grip wrench, the the ab thingy that vibrates. That would be cool. The the George Foreman grill, right? I want them all at the same time. I want to wear that ab thingy while I'm using my grip wrench to put together my brand new George Foreman grill. Now, now, why are these things in, in any way attractive, okay? Well, first of all, they do inspire a need, right? They make you think, well, how could I ever live without this product, right? They push your want button. And let's face it, you can get them all for five easy payments of just $19.95. I mean, how can you beat that, you know? But if you've never ordered something from an infomercial, let me let you in on a little secret. Okay, they don't always live up to their promises, Take it from me, the voice of experience. They're not all they're cracked up to be. Oftentimes, they're difficult to use. In fact, the hair remover, it's downright sadistic. I don't recommend that, okay? And this is tough to admit, but not long after the product arrives, I usually realize "Ah, I could have lived without this. Now, having said all that today, I do want to give you an infomercial, okay? (laughs) This is going to be an infomercial for a product that if you want to live the good life, you can't be without this. Okay, what if I really could offer you something that would better your life? Something that would change you from the inside out? Something that would transform you into a more joyful, peaceful person? Right? What if I could promise you that it would help you to reach your potential, live life to the fullest? Would you want that? Of course you would, yes. So what's the product? The Bible. And people, the Bible has been used by millions of satisfied customers worldwide. I can promise you the Holy Spirit has used the Bible to change more lives than the do-it-yourself jet stream facelift and the Ginsu knife put together because it's the real deal, right? It does what it says. It changes lives. And the reason it's so effective is because it's God speaking. It's his word to us. And it just makes sense that the author and creator of all life would know best how we ought to live our lives. And that's why God says the Bible is an essential tool if you want to learn to live life his way. I want you to listen to a few passages here. Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is supreme. 
Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Proverbs 2, 1 to 6. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you cry out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now, the key word in this passage is the word if. If you allow the Bible to soak into your heart and mind, then you will discover true wisdom. Now, people may be in different places in their spiritual journey, but we never outgrow our need for God's wisdom in life. I mean, is there anybody here this morning who would say you spend too much time reading or studying the Bible? Okay, I didn't think so. According to the latest statistics from the George Barna Research Center, they say that the average Christian today, okay, five out of six of them, first of all, don't read their Bibles regularly. And then out of the one out of six who do read their Bibles faithfully, they average just a few minutes in the Word daily. So we're obviously falling short in this department of Bible study. Well, today we are in week four of our sermon series called Foundations. And if you've been with us, we have talked about salvation, we've covered assurance, rewards, grace. Those are foundational truths we think everyone should deeply and thoroughly know and understand. But today we're going to shift gears, okay? We're going to move from the heady, the knowledge base to more practical insight, okay? Because we want to help people to be able to grow in their relationship with God on their own. Of course, it's important to come to church on Sunday, listen to what the pastor says, but that's just once a week. And our relationship with Jesus is not limited to once a week on Sunday. And so what I want to do is give you a very simple, very basic way that you will be able to understand and read and study God's word for yourself. But I want to start with this. I think we first need to understand exactly what the Bible is. And I ran across this apt description of the Bible. The Bible is not simply one book. It is 66 books in one composed and compiled by more than 40 human authors over a period of more than 1,600 years. Its human writers included fishermen, kings, diplomats, prophets, shepherds, lawyers, doctors, military men, and historians. Moreover, it addresses hundreds of topics, including life, death, God, marriage, worship, truth, and eternity. And yet, it is in perfect harmony from cover to cover, entirely consistent within itself, and proves its supernatural origins through its supernatural unity. Now, we're going to talk more about why we believe the Bible is so reliable in week eight of this series. But as an aside here, in spite of being the most persecuted book in history, the Bible is the most widely circulated and best-selling volume of all time. Okay? Okay, let's start with two questions. The first one I want to talk about is this. Why is it that people don't study the Bible? I think we got to address this. Why do people not study the Bible? Let me toss out a few possible answers, see if these don't resonate with you. I would say, first of all, they just don't put it on their priority list. You know, let's face it. We're busy as all get out, right? On any given day, I probably have 100 good things I could be doing, but I've got time to do like 10 or 20 of them. So each and every day, there are a lot of really, really good things that don't make the cut. But the person who decides what you do or don't do in life is who? Your wife. That's right, man. <clears throat> Don't forget it. No, it's you, okay? 
And honestly, the same people I talk to who say, I don't have time to study the Bible, they find time to catch up with the news online, listen to the radio, watch TV, keep up with their favorite sports teams. Ultimately, we make time for what's valuable and important to us. All right, second, maybe people believe that it isn't relevant for today. Now, I get this one. My biggest job as a preacher is taking a passage of scripture that was written to a different audience in a different culture in an entirely different day and age and applying those principles to where we live today in the 21st century, in the year 2019 here in the U.S. But let me just say this. The more you learn to study the Bible, the more you will realize there is nothing new under the sun. And the truth is the Bible is very relevant to your life. You've just got to give it some time and effort, okay? Okay, another reason people don't study the Bible is they don't know how to begin to study it. Well, it's a good thing you're here this morning because I'm going to give you a little 15-minute lesson, okay? We're going to do a little practical lesson on how to learn to study the Bible. And this is a tool that you'll be able to take with you and use for the rest of your life. And finally, a lot of Christians, they don't think they can understand it on their own. Now, to a certain degree, that reason might hold water, especially if you're new to Bible study, because there are passages of Scripture that are difficult to understand. We just got to acknowledge that from the get-go. I mean, after 35 years of studying God's Word on my own in college and seminary, there are still times when I read a passage of Scripture and go, mm, what exactly does that mean? And, and there may be a wide variety of reasons why your average Christian doesn't understand the passage of Scripture. Sometimes the Bible translation gets in the way. Like maybe you have an old King James Bible that's been passed down in your family and it was great like 400 years ago. But since nobody speaketh like that these days, it gets confusing, doesn't it? So getteth thou a newer translation, all right? There's nothing sacred about the King James Bible. It's an excellent translation. But it's just that, a translation from the original Greek, from the original Hebrew. There are excellent English versions out there, the NIV, the NASV, to name a few. There are good Bible commentaries out there as well. If you need help with that, come talk to me. I can make all sorts of recommendations for you. Now, other times what will happen is people won't know where to start with Bible study. And so they'll just say to themselves, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. Please don't try that, okay? I mean, by the time you get to the book of Leviticus, and you're reading about the eighth animal sacrifice on the fourth hill with the 12th priest's blessing, right? You'll be falling asleep. So if that's your issue, ditch the whole guilt of the read through the Bible in a year marathon plan and go to the New Testament, right? Just start with Jesus and move forward. Okay, so that's why people don't study the Bible. How about the second big question here? Why do we need to study the Bible? Why is it even important? Let me give you three quick answers. First, it's essential to grow. Second, it's essential to maturity. And third, it's essential to equipping and training. Look at 1 Peter 2.2. 2. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Okay, new believers, they need to be fed right away. And then after they grow by studying the basics, the milk of God's word, they need to be trained to feed themselves. Just like an infant has to be fed right away or they won't grow. But eventually, what do you want to do? You want to teach them to feed themselves. And Bible study will help a new believer grow from infancy to maturity. Also, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, 
correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me back up and walk through this. This passage tells us that all scripture is profitable for four things. First of all, it's profitable for teaching. Okay, it shapes how you think. And what we believe determines how we behave. Second, it's profitable for rebuke. Okay, it tells us when we're out of bounds. Third, it's profitable for correction. It not only reveals our problems, it helps us to solve them. And then fourth, it is profitable for training in righteous living. And then the end result of the effects of God's word in our life is what? That we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right? So that's the why behind Bible study. Now let's talk a little bit about the how. And what I want to do today is I want to give you a really good word picture that'll stick with you, okay? This is a sword, all right? More specifically, okay, it was originally called a makairon, which is a Greek word for a sword that was used in hand-to-hand combat. You may recognize the Latin word gladius, okay? How many of you like that word gladius, okay? <laughs> I love that word, okay? Reminds me of one of my favorite movies. <clears throat> I actually went on a rant about the movie The Gladiator in an earlier message this year, so I will spare you all the movie quotes right now. We'll just jump right into the Bible. But I want you to think about this sword, okay, right here, as I read you Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active. Imagine this sword being alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Okay, it says the Bible is like a sword. And what do we know about a sword? Well, one thing we know about a sword is it has four distinct sides, right? You've got the tip, you've got the handle, the left side, and the right side. So let's just use this whole visual of a sword to help us remember four questions that we can and should ask of every passage of Scripture we study. You ready for these? First of all, what does it tell me about God? Second, what does it tell me about man? Third, is there an example for me to follow? And fourth, is there a command for me to obey? Okay, those are four questions you can and should ask of every passage of Scripture that you read. And just by asking those questions, you know what? The Holy Spirit can help you to interpret and apply God's Word to your life. People, it's so simple, but I got to tell you, it's extremely effective. In fact, this is a tool maybe that's being used more than any other tool. I happen to know that missionaries use this and they have trained millions upon millions of people worldwide in how to study the Bible. It literally enables you to study God's word for yourself, to feed yourself. And we can remember it this way. I want you to say this with me. There's gonna be God, man, then example and command. You ready? Here we go. God, man, example and command. Four questions, very simple to remember. Now, here's something really, really important. Not all passages address all four questions. Let me say that again. Not all passages address all four questions. You should ask all four questions of every passage of Scripture that you study, but it's important not to try and force answers where they don't belong, okay? So let's put this into practice this morning. You ready for this? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a little training exercise, a little hands-on learning. This is gonna be different, but track with me. We'll have some fun here, okay? Four questions. What does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about man? Is there an example for me to follow, a command for me to obey? All right, let's read Psalm 32. We're going to walk through this passage and see if we can apply this. (laughs) Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins 
are covered. (laughs) Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Okay, now let's back up and see what this passage has to say, first of all, about God. In verse five, David says, you, speaking of God, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now that's comforting, that is reassuring. I mean, think about this. When David kept silent, his bones wasted away, right? His strength was sapped. But it says when he confessed his sin to God, that word confess just means to admit, to agree. When he confessed his sin to God, what did God do? complete forgiveness and the removal of all guilt. So if you've confessed your sin to God and you're still feeling guilty, let me tell you, that is not coming from God. It's either your own self-condemnation or maybe the enemy working on you, trying to make you feel guilty. All right, what else do we learn about God here? Look at verse seven. It says, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Hey, first of all, God is a hiding place. He protects us from trouble. He surrounds us with songs of deliverance. You say, what does that mean? It's a poetic way of saying God has your back. He will rescue you. It also says God will instruct you. God will teach you. God will counsel you in the way you should go. And he keeps his eye upon you. And it's not just his eye, is it? It's his loving eye. What a great description of God. That ties into another thing in verse 10. David says, the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. People, if you trust in God, he will surround you with his unfailing love. How awesome is that? All right, so that's what this passage tells us about God. What does Psalm 32 teach us about man? Well, right out of the gate, David says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. You are blessed if your transgressions are forgiven, if your sins are covered. Now, who does that apply to? Every believer, every person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. You are blessed if the Lord does not count your sin against you. And finally, it says you're blessed if there is what? No deceit in your spirit. Something to keep in mind on a day-to-day basis. Because on the flip side, in verse 10, we're told about man, many are the woes of the wicked. Many are the woes of the wicked. Think about that. If you're ever tempted to think that bad people have life better, have life easier, that's a good one to consider. Okay, how about the third question to ask? 
Is there an example for me to follow? Look at verses three to five here. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then, here's his example. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. See, David set a great example here of what to do when you've sinned. You don't keep silent. Okay, that just makes things worse. What do you do? You confess. You acknowledge your sin. You stop covering it up. And who does David confess to? I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You go straight to God. 1 John 1, 8 to 9 says the same thing. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, why do you confess to God? I mean, it's not like he doesn't know in the first place, right? He already knows. Why confess? Well, the reason we confess is because until we own up to our own faults, we will not be able to move past those sins. We will keep repeating them. So people were confessing for our own sake. Okay, one more question to ask of this passage. Is there a command for me to obey? David gives us several. Look at verse six. David says, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Okay, we should pray to God. That sounds obvious, doesn't it? But how often do we not stop in our moments of trouble and offer a simple prayer to God? I would say quite often, that's not our first response. We should pray to God. Another command is found in verse nine. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Basically, don't be foolish. Don't be stubborn like a horse or a mule. Don't force God to put a bit and bridle on you so that you'll come to him. Man, that's a passage my wife could quote to me, okay? God has occasionally had to hit me over the head with a two by four to get my attention. Don't be foolish. Don't be stubborn like the mule. Finally, one more command here at the very end. Look at verse 11. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Have you ever thought of joy as a command? Have you ever thought of rejoicing as a command? You should. If you're walking around like Eeyore all the time, that is bad news. God is saying to you, no, you, you, command. You rejoice. You, be glad. Why does he command that? Well, as Christians, man, we've been forgiven. We've been made righteous. We're blessed beyond measure. Right? We should rejoice. We should be glad. We should also sing. That's another command. And I know what some of you are thinking. <laughs> if people heard me sing, they would command me to stop. <laughs> Not God. He delights in the croaking of the frog. He can handle your voice, all right? <clears throat> all right, so there you have it. Okay, four questions that you can ask of every passage of Scripture. All right, what does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about man? Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a command for me to obey? Now remember, not all passages are gonna answer all four of those questions, and that's okay. A lot of passages just tell us a little bit about who God is or give us a command to obey. In fact, if you look at scripture, it's very, very rare that you will find one passage that addresses all four of these questions. But you still ask all four of every passage you study. And then you learn from those, you apply whatever it is you can. And again, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 sums up why we wanna do this kind of Bible study. It's because all scripture is God-breathed. It's God's wisdom. 
And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that's you, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, my hope is that this little sword exercise today has been encouraging to you. It is so simple, but I gotta tell you, it's extremely effective. It's being used by our missionaries. Chuck, who was just up here, he trains in this all the time. We use it, it's being used by millions around the globe to train people in Bible study. And I gotta tell you, I have seen so, so many people who previously thought they could not study the word of God gain the confidence to jump in and learn from God's word personally. So here's my challenge. You ready? I want you to try this life-changing product for yourself, okay? By God's grace, stick with it. Give it a chance, okay? Don't give up. Don't bail on it easy, okay? I think you'll be blown away by how relevant the Bible is to your life today. Unlike other infomercial products, God's word is one product that lives up to its promises to strengthen your faith, to guide your decisions, to change your heart, and to enhance your life. Psalm 119, 165 says it best. Those who love your teachings will find true peace and nothing, look at that, nothing will defeat them. Mm. How would you like that in your life, to find true peace and know that nothing would defeat you? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you right now in this moment for your word. Because apart from your word, we would be so, so lost. In fact, there are cultures that I've read about where people have heard the gospel, they've come to faith, but there hasn't been the word of God there. And without your wisdom, just the culture's a mess. Even the Christian culture would be a mess. God, your word is alive and active. It is powerful. It can change our lives like nothing else. So my prayer for my brothers and sisters here would be that they would make it a priority in their life, that they would recognize that it's relevant, that they would just dive in and know that at first it may be tough, but just by asking these four simple questions, we can get something out of your word, something that we can take with us on a daily basis. It may only be a minute or two a day, but I know that I know that I know that your word is so alive, it's so powerful that it will change them. So God, would you help us to remember this simple illustration of the sword? And we would approach your word and say, what can I learn about you here, God? What can I learn about myself, about mankind? Is there an example here for me to follow? Is there a command I need to obey? And God, if we just spend some time each and every day doing that, your spirit's gonna use it in a powerful way. Again, Lord, as we go through this series and we're talking about what is foundational, not only to believe, but to do as a Christian. I pray that these would not simply be truths that we hear and say, oh, that's, that's a good idea, but we never put into practice. Instead, Lord, I pray that we would do it because your word is here to thoroughly equip us for every good work. I pray all this now in Jesus' name.